So, so good to be gathered with you today. As John said, my name is Ian, uh, and I'm married to Rebecca and have two kids, Veronica and Isaac, who hopefully will come with us the next time we're able to come here. And so let me start with you uh, sharing a story with you. And so in 1962, a Canadian couple and their infant son left the world they knew and went to live among a cannibalistic, head-hunting people group in Indonesia for the sake of the gospel. Can you imagine? This young couple found themselves in the crosshairs of three warring villages. It was a violent and unstable environment. Not exactly what they pictured, I'm sure. With the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, the young missionary named Don was prompted to suggest an unconventional means of achieving peace amongst these three villages. Using an idea that he calls a redemptive analogy, he suggested that a baby from each village be given to each of the other villages. If you, could trust to, if you could trust them to give them their child, how could you be at war with them? These transplanted children became known as the peace child. As unity formed among these tribes, Don and his wife were able to share with them the gospel and introduce them the idea of the peace child, Jesus Christ, the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. So let's dive into our main passage for today this morning as we explore the idea of peace on this second week of Advent. Being a physician, I feel obligated to share the Christmas story from the book of Luke. So here we go. Starting, let's set up the story. So John the Baptist has been miraculously conceived to Zachariah and Elizabeth, who are both very elderly uh, at the time, uh, and they have given birth to him. Jesus has been conceived to Mary through the Holy Spirit. And at the end of Luke 1, starting in verse 76, we read the story of Zechariah, who is the song of Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist. Starting in verse 76, it says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet on the path of peace. And then a few verses later, we read the following in Luke 2, starting in verse 4. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the child to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared to the angel, with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so this echoes what was prophesied or predicted about the birth of Jesus some 700 years earlier. 
In Isaiah 9, we read, starting in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. You see a lot of the same wording there. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then skipping ahead to verse 6, we read, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Let's pray as we open the, as we explore his word. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that we were able to gather here freely. We thank you for this Advent season as we remember um, aspects about you. God, today as we explore the idea of peace, would you give me your words? Would you open our minds to these passages uh, and the idea that you are our peace, that through Jesus' work on the cross that we can have peace with you? And God, I, I pray for each one here that you would open our eyes in this Advent season uh, to what you're doing in the world. In your name I pray. Amen. So, as has been uh, mentioned, we live in North Africa and get to serve as Alliance International Workers. And so, first of all, although we technically live in a small city, some days it feels more like a small town. Perhaps because we're in the breadbasket of the country and most of the people around us are sustained by farming. Perhaps because of the number of donkeys and donkey carts running up and down the street. Or perhaps because of the very traditional way that the people dress, wearing something called galabeas, which are long and flowing. As I've walked through previous Advent and Christmas seasons living in that country, I can't help but picture Bethlehem resembling something like this town that we live in and how the Christmas story would play out there. As we drive into the capital city, it's not uncommon to come across one or two large groups of sheep or cattle being herded by shepherds with crooks and all on the side of the road. You kind of have to drive around them. Uh, This Christmas story is a lot easier to picture in that setting than in Calgary or in Saskatoon. Both the Isaiah and the Luke passages speak of how Christ's arrival will shine on those living in darkness. Although this was true of the whole world prior to Christ's arrival, this is still very true of our little city. In our area, over 99% of the people follow the majority religion, which as you guessed, isn't Christianity, uh, and therefore are living spiritually in darkness. As well, if Christ were to be born into our city, Um, It would also be similar in that there wouldn't be any hotels, there wouldn't be any Airbnbs, there's no inns, uh, and often the NICUs are full, and so there wouldn't be a typical place for the baby Jesus to lay. In our city and surrounding area, as I try to imagine what it would be like for the shepherds, the real-life shepherds that I've gotten to know, uh, what it would be like for Jesus uh, to be born there and for them to be told about this by the angel, I wonder how afraid they would be as it talks about in this passage. Interesting, one of my very first patients was actually a, a shepherd apprentice, let's say a young guy who had terrible arthritis. Uh, and so it, it's neat to know a real life shepherd as I picture the Christmas story. And so, as we read in the passage, after coming into Bethlehem for the census, Mary and Joseph are unable to find a place to stay. And that, in God's timing, is exactly when Jesus enters the world. As I try to imagine his birth in a stable surrounded by animals, I imagine that this is not really a place of peace. I imagine it was pretty chaotic. As this little baby, and this little baby who was more born in the most humble way, in the most humble place, would go on to be our Prince of Peace, as it says in that Isaiah passage. When the angel greets the shepherds, he starts off by saying to them that he brings them good news that will cause great joy for all people in verse 10. What is this good news that causes great joy? 
that Jesus, our Savior, the Messiah, our Lord, has humbled himself to become human, would live the perfect life, and then through his death and resurrection would be himself the perfect peace for us and would be a sacrifice in our place. At the end of verse 10, we see that this joy is for all people, meaning all the people of the earth from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we are commanded in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, using similar language, talking about all the people groups among the world. When the heavenly host appeared to the shepherds, they say, glory to God, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. They promise peace, and we'll unpack that shortly with other scriptures, uh, to those on whom his favor rests. Who is that, you ask? That is each one who calls on, their, on his name and trusts in Jesus. In Isaiah 9, uh, where we saw the prophecy of his birth, it says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he, Jesus, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and finally, Prince of Peace. And we see that this is not just a temporary peace, but one that will last forever. His work on the cross brought uh, peace to all of mankind for all time. On the second Sunday of Advent, I want to explore with you the idea of peace. As we just lit the candle of peace, we celebrate the coming birth of our Prince of Peace, Jesus. I want to focus on three things this morning. One, that through his life, death, and resurrection, being Jesus, he brings us peace with God. Two, that the gift of his Holy Spirit that indwells us brings us the peace of God as we go about life. And three, that his return, his second coming, will ultimately bring the world to a place of perfect peace. And so those are the three ideas that we're going to explore today. In October of 2019, my family and I got on a plane and traveled halfway around the world to work and live in North Africa. We arrived in the capital city where we were to study Arabic for six months. It's a city in the tens of millions of people. The traffic is dense, and to the untrained eye, it appears that there's no universally accepted rules of the road. Did you miss your exit? No worries, you can drive against the traffic to get back to your exit, or maybe just throw your car into reverse and back up against traffic. Honking is incessant. Cars zip this way and that. Five times a day, the call to prayer reverberates through our city, with each mosque on a slightly different schedule, piping out the prayers at the full volume. They say that New York City is a city that never sleeps, but I think that that moniker could also be used to describe our capital city. The streets always seem to be humming, no matter the hour. Prior to COVID, groceries delivered to your door was actually a pretty normal thing where we live. Um, but there were a number of times where the delivery guy would arrive well after midnight, and this seemed totally reasonable to him, uh, which to us, with a three-month-old, was not totally reasonable. Um, and so, there we were in our new apartment, surrounded by the bags to be unpacked, a three-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old to help transition to this new country and a very foreign language to learn. There we, well, there was a lot that was really fun and exciting about our new adventure and learning about our new city and country. There was a lot that felt overwhelming and chaotic. A peaceful moment in the day was hard to find. Ironically, when we greet one another in Arabic, we use the phrase, Salam Aleikum, which means peace to you. In this whirlwind of life, in a crazy, busy city that is often very chaotic, we wish each other peace. And boy, do we need it. 
We live in a world that is full of conflict, of sorrow, of disappointment, of misunderstanding, pain, and suffering. No matter where you live in the world, I think we can all agree that it feels like peace is in short supply. As we've adapted to our new life overseas, we've been so thankful for the peace of God in our lives. Psalm 29:11 tells us, the Lord gives strength to his people and the Lord blesses his people with peace. And then in John 16:33 we read, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's a passage that's probably familiar to you in Philippians 4, starting in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. This is in a section in the Bible that you might have titled Final Exhortations, and it's at the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians. He commands us not to be anxious, but then tells us how to do this. We are told to present our requests to God by prayer and petition. Interestingly though, we're told to do this with thanksgiving. Let's say you're walking through a tough situation or you can't see a way forwards. How can you do this with thanksgiving? I think that we can make our requests to God with thanksgiving if we can trust that for whatever we ask, God will work it out for our good, for the good of those around us, and ultimately for his glory. It may not always be in the timing or the way that we expect, but we can trust as Christians that God will work it out. Then in verse seven, we see the result of this trust in our thankful requests where it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. And so if we can reframe our prayers trusting that God will work it out for his glory, then I think we can experience more of that peace of God. In February of 2020, our teammate was out for his usual morning run. He was the fittest of us all and was up before dawn most mornings to run. As he ran up the steps of our apartment building in which we all lived, he collapsed. Another early riser in the building saw him and grabbed his wife. She woke the rest of the team and I, along with a nurse on our team, and our team leader did our best to try to revive him. Eventually we took him to the hospital, but no human effort could bring him back. He was with Jesus. He had finished his race. Of course, we grieved his loss. We sat with his family and we tried to make sense of this unexpected and heartbreaking turn of events. Thankfully, although we may have tribulation in this world, we serve the one who will, has overcome the world and gives us peace. When our team gathered to be debriefed about this about a week later, we could see the fingerprints of God in each of our experiences that day as each one navigated through this terrible situation. This became even more true as we looked back on it a month or two later as COVID had shut the world down. Processing the loss has been hard, but it was clear that the peace that transcends all understanding, God's peace, undergirded our hearts as that day unfolded. During our years overseas, we've experienced some significant losses, like our teammate's death, and also lots of disappointments, like when things didn't go according to plan, or when things were really not as advertised. 
We even had another teammate significantly injured just before we came back to Canada. And early on, we didn't know if she would survive or not. Thankfully, now she's fully recovered, but there was that moment where we didn't know if she would survive, or if she did, whether she would still be intact. But thankfully, God was, was watching over her. Through all of these things, we have been so encouraged to have our source of peace walking with us through the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8.28, we are reminded, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That isn't to say that things will always go well, or that there are t- or terrible things won't happen, as you would see if you looked back at our first term overseas, but rather we can trust that or have peace that God is working in our lives and in the lives of those around us and ultimately for his glory through all of these terrible and messy things that happen in the world around us. Although not a part of the initial design of the world, after the introduction of sin into the world through Adam, sin is at work causing chaos and heartbreak. If we can take his promise to heart, that he's working for our good through all things, we can experience the peace of God in the chaos and disappointments around us. A question we sometimes get asked when serving as international workers is, why go? Why live far from family and friends? Why struggle to learn a foreign language like Arabic? Why take our kids away from their grandparents, aunts, uncles, and cousins? Why not practice medicine in Canada? After completing our time of language study in the capital city, we moved to the hospital where we serve. In this smaller city of about 300,000 people, located a few hours away from the capital, there are only three buildings that bear the image of the cross. The hospital, the church that meets on its campus, and the school down the road. Um, I understand that there are six or seven alliance churches in Saskatoon alone, a city of a similar size, and that's just one denomination. So when we think about access to Jesus, the people in our city have very little opportunity to experience and come to know the peace of God in their lives. Interestingly, when, if somebody wanted to come to our church, they couldn't even enter into our church in our city because the government would prevent them to do that if they were of the majority religion. Our openly Christian hospital, however, is different. People don't just happen to come to our hospital, but they choose to come to the hospital because of the love and care that we provide for them, because of the Christians that staff the hospital. And so it's one of the few places, as they seek medical care, that they're able to rub shoulders with and interact with Christ's followers in this city. Through them, they experience a measure of Christ's love and compassion. Romans 5, 1 to 2 tells us, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access to, gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So after humbling himself and being born on Christmas, Jesus grows up, lives a sinless life, and ultimately dies on the cross on our behalf, taking on our sin and punishment. Therefore, rather than being seen as those living in rebellion to God, our natural state, we now have and can live in peace with God. When he looks on you and me, he sees Christ's righteousness rather than anything that we did or didn't do. And we don't have, any, have to do anything to earn it. It's a free gift to us that we receive by simply believing in Jesus' sacrifice for you and for me. So why go? 
we've received this gift of peace with God, and the Bible has commanded us in various passages to go into all the world and to share his good news. In Romans 10, we read this familiar passage, starting in verse 14. How then can they call on the one of whom, whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone going and preaching to them? And how can someone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And we are commanded in, this Romans 5 pass, in the Romans 5 passage and more directly in the Great Commission to boast in the hope that we have in Jesus. We are to share with others how they too can experience the peace of God and have peace with God. As you explore the idea of Imago Dei, we can be peacemakers, the image of God, as we go out into the world around us. Let's return for a moment to our teammate who passed away in February of 2020. Before his family brought his body back to Canada to be buried, we had, the we had a funeral to celebrate his life at the International Church. Typically, people of the majority religion aren't able to enter into a church, but exceptions are made for things like funerals. There were many people who had been blessed by his life who came to pay their respects. There, they were introduced to his source of peace and life, Jesus. They learned how he moved from Canada to their country so that they too may learn about his savior and experience peace with God. We trust that many seeds for the gospel were planted on that day and trust that God continues to grow those. A few weeks later, COVID was declared a global pandemic and the world shut down, including our country. Like many churches in our area, our church shut down and um, moved online. Before COVID, the ability to access ongoing church services and gospel messages would have been largely limited to the walls of the church. And yet now, there's people who've had seeds planted and they can suddenly access church on their phones or their computers. And so we trust that both Darcy's life and his death opened doors to the gospel to bring peace with God with the people of our country. This was Darcy's conviction. He wanted the people of North Africa to join us someday in worshiping before the throne of God in heaven. As has been mentioned, I'm a physician serving at a small hospital in North Africa. In my day-to-day -day life, I have the privilege of caring for families through the very practical means of meeting their physical needs. I'm a pediatrician and run a clinic at our small hospital. People in our region aren't able to walk through the doors of a church, but they are very much able to come into our hospital. This hospital, by God's grace, has been there for over 100 years and is viewed with incredible favor. Out of the many hospitals in the region, the people seem to come to ours and trust us more than any other. As I settled into my role at the hospital, I was asked to consider whether I would start a neonatal intensive care unit, or NICU something you might have seen about uh, or heard about in the video that was shared about a month ago. Previously, we had to send babies out of our hospital because we couldn't care for them. I had reservations about whether it was wise to start something so big and so new in my first months there, as the general advice I'd gotten was not to, um, not to change anything or do anything big in the first months or years overseas. As I learned of the need and the uh, subpar care and the lack of peace that they experienced, however, I really did feel a peace and God moved in my heart to start to develop this NICU. As we set off to plan out the new seven-bed NICU space, about a year ago, we had to figure out how to design and furnish the NICU. This required a delicate balance between quality 
and cost, as we were trying to be wise with donated funds. Myself, coming from a Western NICU perspective, my desire was to create a baby-centered, family-friendly, breastfeeding-friendly space, which it turns out is incredibly countercultural and almost unheard of in our region. We wanted to make our NICU, although small, an oasis of peace for the families and babies that came into our unit. We wanted to make it a place where they could see us serve them sacrificially as we sought to live out our gospel and minister to them and share our source of peace. By its nature, neonatal intensive care is pretty chaotic and stressful as you deal with the sickest and smallest babies. And yet, we wanted to make our unit a place of peace. Our desire was to change this, at least in our small unit. Have you ever heard of kangaroo or skin-to-skin care? This is where moms or dads hold a baby against their bare chest. This practice was first introduced 35 years ago in Colombia in order to uh, provide an alternative to NICU care when resources were lacking. But interestingly, it worked as well as incubators are better than incubators. Since then, many studies have done, been done demonstrating that, in fact, it works to reduce death and length of hospital stay. Interestingly, though, this isn't just something that we do in developing countries, but it's actually strongly advocated for here in the West as well. Did you know that as a consequence of being born early, premature infants' are brains are naturally in a state of stress and disorganized, which manifests as vital signs changes and stress? The practice of kangaroo care helps to settle them down, bringing them to a place of peace as it settles down their heart rate and their temperature and improves their sugar control, uh, helps their breathing, and helps mature their sleep. And it even helps with breastfeeding and all sorts of other things that are great for their development. So, knowing all about kangaroo care and the way that we do things here, we wanted to design a NICU that provided babies with a peaceful environment by encouraging and facilitating skin-to-skin -skin care with moms and pumping and breastfeeding and encouraging the parents to spend lots of time there. And the byproduct of this is that the parents are more present in our NICU, and through that, they're able to see us living out our gospel, sharing with them in deed, and verbally sharing with them our source of peace. As I understand it, even letting them into the unit is pretty countercultural. Ultimately, though, we are, the care we provide isn't just about meeting a temporary need, but a place where we can tangibly demonstrate Christ's love. Much more than physical health, which is ultimately only temporary, our goal is that these families would experience the peace of God and peace with God as they hear the gospel. Let me share one story of how this tangibly plays out in the NICU. Some patients that you meet really stick with you. We had spent the better part of two days fighting for the life of this small boy. He'd arrived in our emergency department in need of breathing support. In a Canadian hospital, I would have very quickly put him on a ventilator, seeing the way things were headed. But unfortunately, at this time, before our NICU, the ventilator didn't work. And so we started putting out calls to other hospitals, but unfortunately, nobody was willing to take this baby. In the absence of a functioning ventilator, when we could no longer ignore this problem, we slid a tube into his trachea and we began manually pumping life-giving air into his lungs. 32,400 or so squeezes of the bag later, and it was clear that we were losing the battle. Having done everything we could with the resources we had at the time, I placed the little boy's body in his father's arms. The father wept as he held him, watching him take his final breath. These aren't the outcomes we hoped for. It's moving and heartbreaking to walk alongside a family who suffers such loss and heartache. 
thinking of this father holding his new son in his arms, I can't help but picture our heavenly father holding us, holding humanity in his arms, weeping over the brokenness and the sorrows we experience. I think about the 32,000 or so breaths that we manually pumped into this baby's lungs and how each one of us is ultimately dependent on God to sustain our lives as he waits for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to come to worship him. Unfortunately, the father of the baby in this story doesn't share our source of peace. He neither experiences the peace of God nor has peace with God. I can't imagine walking through the situation like this, especially as a parent, without my Prince of Peace supporting me. I hope that through the love and that we as physicians and nurses showed to this family, as we manually sustained this little one's life for a period of time, that they got a glimpse of God's love for them and the peace that we hold. I have to trust that God brought this family to our little NICU for a reason, which was uh, to somehow impact their lives. And thankfully, you know, most of our stories work out well, as we shared in the video about a month ago. Um, God has sustained us and grown us, but um, this is one of those stories that, that really does stick with you. The day before this little boy had arrived at our hospital, I had actually been in our, the capital city sourcing equipment for a new NICU as the hospital was building the new space. Thankfully, we've since, since finished and equipped this new NICU and have three functioning ventilators now, which you can see here. And so, as we anticipate our return to North Africa in early 2023, one of my big focuses will be on training the doctors and nurses to staff this NICU. We're also really excited that we have donors coming alongside us to start a new inpatient pediatrics unit, which previously didn't exist, and a new outpatient unit. And so we're really excited about the way that God seems to be moving in pediatric care in this area. I think the idea of peace is really relevant to our work in our little corner of the world. In our region, the vast majority of the people follow the majority religion of Islam. These beautiful people that we serve amongst are often not particularly well off, both when compared to the West and with their colleagues, their, uh, the other people of the country. And yet they are some of the most warm and loving and hospitable people we know. There are more invitations to go out for ahwa, or coffee, than I can accept in a week. And as we go through the weeks, and especially during the month of Ramadan, we're often invited into homes for lavish meals. They have a high value for community, and being of an honor-shame culture, really do try to uh, really have a high value for relationship. Because of the importance of relationship, they generally try to live at peace with one another. And yet, they do not experience peace, or at least an assurance of peace with God. If I were to judge by works as a whole, these are some of the best people that I know. They follow the teachings of Islam, doing their best to live out its five pillars. We see it on display as we go about life. Every woman who's not of the small Christian majority has her head covered. Five times a day when the call to prayer rings out through the city, there is a bit of a pause in life, especially on Fridays, as the people, especially the men, will stop and pray and declare their faith to Muhammad or Allah. They practice zakat, giving generously to those in need, and I think probably those begging in their streets are much more well-off than people are here in Canada, as people give to them and make contact, eye contact with them and engage with them. During the month of Ramadan, they practice psalm, which is fasting from food and drink until sunset, and then they break the fast at iftar, something that we're often invited into. If they were able to financially, I'm sure that every person from this city would make the pilgrimage to Mecca 
which they call the Hajj. And yet, even if they do all of this faithfully, they don't have a true peace from God or with God. Or to be more specific, they don't have an assurance of peace. Even our most religiously faithful friends, our dear friend the key holder to the local mosque, for example, may not have done enough. They just don't know. On Judgment Day, they believe that Allah will weigh their good and their bad deeds and their intentions and then determine whether they can enter into paradise or heaven. Interestingly, in the Quran, even the Prophet Muhammad didn't seem to know where he was going at the end of the days. There is much that I have come to love about the Arabic language that I have been learning over the past few years. One of my favorite and most used, and some might argue my most overused phrases, is inshallah. It translates roughly to, if God wills it. This is a very versatile phrase. You go to the grocery store. They don't have any pomegranates. You ask, when will you get more pomegranates? Bukra, which means tomorrow, inshallah. Whether or not they believe that, that's what they'll say. Um, if a child asks for something from his parents and they can't or, or won't give it to them, the parent might respond, inshallah, uh, which I gather when a child asks actually usually means no rather than maybe or if God wills it. Or let's say you have an important meeting and you've booked your driver into town and you want to confirm that he's going to be there on time. His response, as you might guess, inshallah. I imagine that if you asked my friends about whether they're going to go to heaven once they die, many of them would likewise have to respond, inshallah. If God wills it, and if their good deeds are good enough, then maybe, hopefully. But if you or my friends were to ask me if I were going to heaven, I would be able to answer akid, which translates to of course or definitely with emphasis. I know that I have peace with God and peace of God, not because of anything that I did or didn't do or because of who I am, but because of Christ who did it for me. If you can't answer akid, of course, to the question, or if you don't experience the peace of God and the peace with God, let me explain to you how you can experience that. On Christmas, we remember the birth of Jesus, the Son of God. We remember how he, despite being God, humbled himself and came down to earth in the most humble way possible, being born of a woman in the form of a helpless baby in an unimpressive town and laid in a feeding trough of all places. He did this because he so desired to be in relationship with us, and this was the way to do it. But we humankind have all sinned and grieved God and broken our relationship with him. Jesus grew up and lived the perfect life, work overcoming struggles and temptations like we face in life, while fully human, and ministered to those around him in word and deed, proclaiming his upside-down kingdom. He was betrayed and died an excruciating death on the cross, taking upon him the sins of you and me and people from every tribe and tongue and nation of this world. It was Jesus' blood spilled on that cross that allowed us to have peace for all of us. On, this third day after, on the third day after his death, he was raised from the dead, demonstrating his power over death and conquering Satan. We read in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's all you need to do. Place your trust in Jesus and the work that he did for you on the cross, and you too can experience peace with God. I do not experience that peace because of anything I did or didn't do, but only because of who he is our Prince of Peace. And when we become followers of Jesus, we are filled with his Holy Spirit who indwells us and therefore can experience his peace 
the peace of God wherever we go. And as we look forward to the end of the times when Jesus comes again and returns the world to a place of complete peace, um, that brings me, brings me so much joy. This doesn't just mean a place without war or conflict or bad things, but a place of complete well-being or completeness and re- of relationship. Shalom is the Old Testament word that we use. I look forward to the day when we get to worship before God in perfect unity and peace, as described in Revelation 7-9, with a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is my prayer. Circle, before I close, um, I want to say a big thank you to you. You may remember learning a little bit about us in the video that we shared about a month ago. I, along with my wife, Rebecca, and our children, Veronica, five, and Isaac, three, serve as Alliance International Workers in North Africa. We're able to do this because of something called the Global Advance Fund, which is a pool of money collected across the 400 or so Alliance churches in this country, of which you are a part. This fund helps to support us and 200 or so other international workers who serve among some of the least reached peoples of the world, places where there isn't access to the gospel. As new workers, we're additionally asked to raise $20,000 per year of individual monthly donors towards this, and so you can pray with us that God would bring alongside us people who want to join us in our work. As we enter into a seamless link with you, we are so excited for what God will do in you, through you, and through us as we go out as an extension of you and other Alliance churches. If there are medical people among you, nurses, doctors, pharmacists, etc., who are potentially interested in working in our hospital short or long term, we'd love to talk with you and explore that possibility. Or if you're just interested in what's going on in the world, we'd love to explore the possibility of having a number of you come out and just see what life looks like for us. We'd be happy to journey with you as you explore that. It is your partnership, generally through the Global Advance Fund that this church continues to faithfully support, and more directly with us as we enter into a seamless link that allows us to be where we are and spread the peace of God in our little part of the world. Thank you so much. And if you want to get our emails, they come out about once a month. Um, We would love to have you sign up uh, on that website or at the QR code, or come to talk to me at the back, and I can connect you to that. Um, And if God is prompting you, my encouragement to you would be take a step of faith. Come talk to us. We'd be happy to journey with you and help you through that process if we can. Let us pray as we close. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who came to be born on earth that we remember every Christmas. God, we thank you that through his death and resurrection, he became our Prince of Peace. We thank you that when you look on us, you don't see all of the things that we've done wrong, but you see Christ's righteousness in us. And as such, God, we can experience peace with you. And God, we thank you that as we call upon the name of Jesus and are saved, God, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and that he lives in us, and that through that Holy Spirit, as he works in us, God, that we can experience the peace of God as we go about our lives. And so, God, in this Advent season, I pray that you would open our eyes to those around us who are seeking peace and help us to share it with those that we come in contact with, God. And I thank you that we don't need to get on a plane and fly around the world to share your peace, God, but each of us here, God, are surrounded by neighbors and friends and family and coworkers and acquaintances, God, many of whom are seeking peace, God, a peace that only you can give. And so, God, I pray 
that you would open our eyes to the opportunities that exist around us. God, and if somebody here is feeling a small prompting from you in their heart, God, I pray that you would, that they wouldn't ignore this, that they would, that you would grow that in them. God, and that from this community, that you would grow up people, raise up people who serve missionally among this city, God, and among this province, and among this country, and also to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.